Can you hear the dog snoring behind me? Hi, everyone. I've got the loudest snoring dog next to me, but I didn't wake him because he looks so peaceful. I'm back from South Africa. Big news. I went to Cape Town. Wow, what a place. I mean, the waves are big, the beach is big, the mountains are big, the wind is big, it's very windy, the sun is big, it was boiling hot, the power cuts are big. There was like two power cuts a day. Um, They do this thing called load shedding. It's to do with like people using too much power there. Uh, Someone cleverer than I will be able to write in and tell me exactly what was going on. Um, But all I know is there was lots of power cuts. I saw a... I didn't see one seal. I saw loads of seals because they all just mill around on the beach. I also saw there's this app called like Shark Tracker. I think it's called Shark Tracker. Anyway, because I'm obsessed with the fact that I'm going to be killed by a shark, I downloaded this app called Shark Tracker and um, where I could see where there had been sharks near me. And there were two, but they hadn't. one was like was there in 2018 and one was there in 2014. So I felt it's safe to dip a dough in the water. i tell you where I was staying. I was staying just by where they filmed that amazing documentary, My Octopus Friend about this man who makes friends with an octopus by going to visit it every day and he's at a sort of particular time of his life and if you haven't seen it it is such a wonderful documentary full spoiler alert and not that kind of spoiler i didn't get to watch the end why because there was a power cut so i need to finish watching the end but i was just absolutely so intoxicated by it so that's been my excitement how have you all been? Oh, blimey, can you hear that snoring? How was your Blue Monday? Blue Monday, which was a few days ago, apparently the most depressing day of the year. Somebody told me this week it is something that was invented by a travel company in 2015 to sell holidays. So stick Blue Monday up your something. Monday can stick it up its own. I don't know. But in all seriousness, if you are struggling... Because uh, it can be a really tricky time of year. Plus, we're going through tricky times at the moment. In the show notes are some resources for like places to help you talk if you are not feeling great. Because I know that that has always helped me, I must say. Um, today, we've got someone on the podcast who... Oh, it's really funny how we end up in this situation, but sometimes we do. Juno Dawson is our guest today. Best-selling author and podcaster. Juno was one of the first visible trans activists in the UK, to my knowledge. It's always, I'm probably wrong. We actually always wanted her to be a guest in the first ever season, and we kind of just, it never quite came together. No fault of Juno's, by the way. And Juno's always been really lovely and kind to the podcast, kind to me, and accepting and inviting and warm and lovely because... She's an amazing person and over the past few years has become this absolute top international best-selling author. So it's really exciting to talk to her about her books like Her Majesty's Royal Coven, which is this massive smash hit that's out at the moment, but also to talk about the history of being a trans activist and how differently she is treated now to even five years ago. Really, really lovely broad-ranging chat with a wonderful person. So that's coming up. Have you caught up with all our episodes over the holiday season? The Hunsnet episode 
Thanks, everybody. You all loved it. You had such, wrote in such nice things. Then we spoke to TV vet James Greenwood about life as a gay vet. So many messages from you all just saying how it connected with you. I'll get into that, actually, because we've got a few of them here. And then Bobby Box last week with sex and relationship questions all about losing shame around sex. I would honestly call that episode Essential Listening. That conversation with Bobby just stayed with me on so many levels. I adore him. Keep emailing us. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com, at homosapiens on Instagram. Tell us what you thought of the episodes. Get in touch at homosapiens on Instagram. Share stories, share problems. Tell me about any shame liberation you have experienced around sex, whether that's to do with the conversation with Bobby or not. Asking for what you want. Let's start there. On to emails. People have been getting in touch about the James Greenwood episode. Unlikely Dad, previous guest, said, love listening to this today. Completely resonated with my experience of growing up in the suburbs at that time. New follower here, Dr. Jay Greenwood. Well, two lovely people following each other. As a vet nurse, I can totally corroborate this. Love listening to this episode of the pod, said PMC Ginger. And Jake's been in touch on Instagram about last week's episode, answering your sex and relationship questions with Bobby Box. Thoroughly enjoyed this episode. I totally relate to the point about being able to articulate myself clearly in professional settings, but when it comes to my most intimate relationship, the shame wizard starts whispering in my ear. Funny, isn't it? The shame wizard is a very clever wizard of all the wizards. Yeah, that is when that voice gets in your head, you doubt yourself. And I don't think that gets easier, but I do think we become firmer. The objective is to become firmer with telling it to shut up because it it's it knows nothing. And I'm really pleased you brought that up, Jake, because I think it's a really important point. We all have it. We just need to choose whether we want to listen to it or not. I've gone very Oprah here. Baptiste got in touch. Dear Chris and the team, I had to write in after listening to the Bobby Box episode that I loved. This is the sex and relationships episode, getting rid of shame. It was brilliant. I loved it. That's me talking back to Baptiste. It is so refreshing to hear people talk about sex openly and help demystify and normalise it. There are some great resources out there. My husband and I have been using Dr. Ranj's book, How to Grow Up and Feel Amazing, and it's been a great way to start conversations with our kids. Another advice that I read in the amazing book, Pleasure Activism by Adrienne Marie Brown, is to simply ask the kids what they would like to know and let them guide their own sex ed at their own pace. Fascinating, I love it. Right, I'll continue reading here, but if you can hear me over the snoring behind me. The reason I am so passionate about it is because I have the privilege to have a very fulfilling sex life. All right, Baptiste, no need to rub it in. And it is a very important part of who I am. My husband and I are polyamorous and are always exploring and seeking new ways to create pleasure in ourselves and others. The thing that particularly resonated with me was that Bobby spoke about all types of relationships and gender. In my experience, the straight world has a long way to go and I've met countless women who do not get any pleasure out of sex, which is so sad. This leads me to one particular thing that I think needs unpacking further. I think that it is fine for some people to want to know whether I am top or bottom before we even consider going any further. I have nothing against it. People go even as far as asking the size of my penis to see whether I am worth their time. Good God. Um, That's me speaking now. Uh, I mean, listen, that's what happens on the apps, isn't it? Now, my issue with this is that it kills creativity, which I would argue is a key element to good sex. Such a good point, Baptiste. By pre-selecting my partners on such a reductive criteria, I'm a lot less likely to discover new things. Yes. For example, I once had sex with a man that had a vagina. 
I never felt that I needed to know ahead of time. These reductive criteria exclude anyone that doesn't fit in them. Also, what I'm thinking, Baptiste, is that these reductive criteria are ways of avoiding intimacy. Big topic, but I'm going there. That's what I think. Let yourself be known. Sex, just like relationships, needs to be redefined with every different partner. Let's burn the script. Yes, Baptiste. I wanted to mention a couple of great things. Some people are out there are trying really hard to create good porn. One that I can recommend is a website called Himeros TV. Baptiste has put a link. We'll put it in the show notes because that's the kind of podcast we are. We've got mental health resources and good porn resources all next to each other. It's a one-stop shop. They are showing different types of bodies, including trans and disabled, and have a great ethos. I love, I love that. Lastly, I wanted to reassure people out there who might be thinking of doing group sex but are scared of trying. I have managed to discover a really lovely community. For those who want to try something softer to begin with, the Bunker Bar is a good place to start. Sorry, this is for people in London. Cheers, Baptiste. Thank you, Baptiste. Uh, I love that you said that. Liberation is the key. It's freedom. Right. Sorry, Ridley. He's just stirred. Sorry, Ridley. Don't mean to wake you from your slumber. With no further ado, that was verging on French. With no further ado, here's a lovely chat with Juno. A long time coming and all the better for it. Let's get the important stuff out of the way. You've got the builders in. Yes, yeah. We have we have an unsafe staircase down to our back garden, which threatened to fall over and kill us at any moment. So yeah, I am... Um, Tell we, me you're a novelist having... without telling me you're a novelist. <laughs> Just, all that, all that, do you know what? One stiff gust of wind and we could have all been in, in trouble and we've known this for several years. So actually, the evidence of the last three years has suggested this wall is quite capable of staying upright. But um, yes. we, we just... I just noticed it was it was crumbling. This wall was crumbling. So I was like, mm, uh, maybe we should do this. It was, you know, when you're having your home done, like you want to have like really exciting, sexy stuff done. Like, like look at our new conservatory. No, this yeah. isn't even this isn't even sexy. This is just really boring. Kind of like, like no one is going to look at this wall. Yeah, no one is going to see this wall and think, what a nice wall. No, it's not clickable. You know no. what I mean? It's not. It's content. not going on Instagram. No. <laughs> And nice builders, do you get on well with them? Yes, they've been... Well, they did our... So actually, if you go on my Instagram, you can see the garden renovation they did for us. So we got them back to kind of do this additional job. So you redid your garden? Yeah, I wanted like a little love island. And um, we were very lucky. We were very lucky in that we moved to our current house just before the pandemic hit. So we did have a garden, but it was a very sad patch of like fake grass. I'll explain it because this is radio listeners. Uh, beautiful garden. Then Juno's put in sort of um, a zigzag path through leading to uh, what I would call uh, a spot where you would uh, pull people for a chat at the end. And, <laughs> Correct. Uh, beautiful sort of pergola hanging all over the place that you've presumably hanging plants from or something. We is do now, yeah. Right? We've, yeah we've, we have a, a very out of control passion flower, which has kind of taken Ooh. taken control of the garden. So now it looks really nice now. It does. It's an, amazingly in a feat of engineering, the Wi-Fi stretches from the flat to the garden. So I can, I know the dream, the dream. So I can actually go out and write in the garden. It feels very sort of Tuscan- Sort of Mary Shelley vibes. I'm really here for it. But do you like a garden? Is it important to you? Yeah, and it's it's funny because I 
never thought I would enjoy it as much as I have, but I've, I've liked growing things and sort mm-hmm. of working out what's meant to be there and what's a weed and kind of, and all that stuff. But, um, it's funny. It's just funny how much my life has sort of changed in like the last sort of, well, I guess decade, which is, I just, I wouldn't have cared less. You know, I like being near the sea. I do like, I don't think I'm ever going to leave the curse now. But, um, yeah. But again, do you know what? It's, my circumstances have changed like dramatically. Um, mm-hmm. you know, five years ago, I was applying to the Arts Council for emergency funding so that I could pay my rent. And because I genuinely, I had no money left. And, um, and now, you know, I've, I've bought a flat, <laughs> renovated the garden. Amazing. And, and so like, the, the the second half of my writing career, things have turned around quite sharply. So, well, that's great because you're a best, you're a number one Times bestseller with Her Majesty's Royal Coven, correct? That is correct. Thank you. Oh, congratulations! It's amazing. I think it's, um, I suppose it's a, it's a couple of things. It's a testament to your talent, but it's also a testament to the fact that it takes a while to get this shit going, and we all think it happens overnight. Yeah, and I, I think that that's something that's like a hill that I'm very prepared to die on or like an axe that I'm very happy grinding, which is I do wish the industry that we work in, both whether it's television or whether it's publishing, the sort of the, the, the almost the fetishization of debuts and mm. kind of like this sort of like looking constantly for the next big thing rather than kind of developing the small or average size thing yeah. <laughs> in, in, into, into making a big thing mm. you know I think that there and there is I know I don't genuinely in publishing or telly I, I don't think there is any such thing as an overnight success mm. um you know it, it might appear that that a person has arrived overnight fully formed but actually the, the fact is that you know even if you look at somebody like Michaela Cole or Phoebe Waller-Bridge they've no doubt been doing years and years of work yeah just away from the public eye kind of and, and that's kind of that that is sort of how I guess it happened with Her Majesty's Royal Coven as well, which is, you know, I wrote a book during lockdown and then two years later it came out and within the space of a week, I'm a number one bestseller. And I think a lot of people have discovered my work who have never read me before. And that, that that's a really lovely feeling. Well, it's it, it, I suppose if you've got a strong foundation, then when people do switch onto it, you've got your audience and then new people and then I imagine it grows it, but uh, and it's a fantastic book so congratulations and it's um <laughs> I like I like it I don't know about anybody else but certainly that was I don't know about any any other <laughs> people who got it to number one bestseller I just can't imagine if they did but it's um it's a sort of prescient novel isn't it and it's uh it's my favorite thing which is like allegory and using you know using things to talk about things and I one of my favorite quotes ever is they were talking about Star Trek saying if you want to talk about racism set it on a spaceship because that way you can talk about a lot of things that are really important but you're not uh, you're sort of feeding it to people on the side while entertaining them Um, yeah there's been a lot of that throughout your work yeah I think you know I felt you know, really since sort of 2018, when sort of the, the UK press went really, really mad for trans people. I mean, mm. things definitely got haven't gotten worse. Mm. You know, it feels like I've been invited to have conversations about being trans, but it wasn't the conversation that I wanted to have. You know, it was, and I did it one time, once I went on Good Morning Britain and spoke with Susanna and Piers Morgan 
Mm. And you sort of, it's so strange, you know, they, they get you in at the crack of dawn and then you're on telly for seven minutes, kind of having this very strange kind of whataboutism conversation. I think I was on to talk about gendered categories at award ceremonies, which right. is just like such a nonsense. I mean, the world is ending. Let's, let's talk about yes. award ceremonies kind of. And, and I thought, gosh, what, a, what a pointless exercise, kind of that, that, you know, that's filled seven minutes of television, but, but I haven't said anything that I wanted to say. Nothing, no good came out of that conversation. And so I think I realized after that, that I, I was only going to talk about what it is to be trans in, in a way that I found entertaining. And especially, mm-hmm. especially in, in a novel form, you know, you're going to be writing that book for like a year and then you'll be promoting it for another year or, you know, because it's a trilogy, I'll be promoting it for the best part of five years, kind of. Wow. And there was, I remember some publishers took me out for sort of drinks kind of in sort of 2019 or 2020 to sort of investigate what I was thinking regarding doing a novel for adults. Cause my, my novels had always been for young adults. And yeah. if I was planning sort of a move into adult fiction, and I think there was sort of a desire for me to sort of write, you know, the seminal trans novel kind of. Right. And I was kind of like, that is a lot of pressure. Like, and again, it felt like. There was a very kind of specific kind of book that I think they wanted me to write. Sort of mm. like, um, I guess a bit like a trans Bridget Jones. I think that's right. really what I think the publishers wanted. They wanted me to kind of do a modern trans woman, just sort of thinking about being trans and kind of just holding a mirror up to her genitals. I don't know what they wanted. Oh, I wanted to write a book about witches, you know, and, yeah. and I remember in the pandemic... I was not a happy camper. You know, I really, I really do think we were done for. I was like, really? oh my God, you know, we're trapped in our flats, like washing our tins of vegetables, kind of like this surely is the end of days. Yeah. And my husband was like, well, what do you want to write? You know, given that we don't know, we know, we don't know if any of this is going to get published. <laughs> so this could be the yeah. end of publishing. So, you know, yeah. what, what, if, if you're going to go out, you know, what would you like to go out on kind of? And I was like, well, I kind of want to write the craft meets X-Men meets Desperate Housewives. And, I mean, and that was what I did. And there was something, so that's my little dog scurrying around. Um, oh, sorry. <gasps> Prince, give over. Oh, hi, Prince. <laughs> He is not happy at seeing the builders. They don't like a builder. They don't like change. Dogs hate change. There you go. You go to bed. So you thought that and then you thought... You thought witch hunt, I suppose, is this word that's used against trans people but obviously invokes... A huge history of there's so much literary stuff all the way back to the Salem witch trials and beyond. And how did you sort of metabolise that into your story? Because it's a very modern, fresh story, isn't it? Yeah, so it's set in 2022. It's about a coven of witches who live in and around Hebden Bridge in West Yorkshire. Where we went for uh, one of our episodes, listeners. Find it on the feed. <gasps> love, love Hebden Bridge. It is very queer and very magical. Mm. And yeah, I mean, it just, it seemed really, really clear to me that for as long as there have been women, there have been different types of women who are blamed for all the ills in society. Mm. You know, going back to the days of the Tudors and the Stuarts, you know, it was poor women, sex workers, disabled women, unmarried women, a lot Mm. of the time, homeless women. And then, you know, as, as you move into the 20th century, you know, 
the post 9-11 paranoia around women wearing the hijab or the niqab, you know, going back into the civil rights movement in America, you know, how, you know, how racial politics would, would bring about the end of civilization in America. You know, there have always been demonized groups. And, and right now in the UK, I can think of few minority groups who are talked about in the same breath as sort of trans women, kind of, I guess, refugees mm-hmm. received the same very negative treatment. And so I did want to consider the role of what if a trans woman sought refuge within the coven Mm -hmm. and and from that then all of a sudden it became so much more than just kind of like a genre novel about a group of witches it was it is a fantasy novel and I think that's really important because that's Mm. why I love this book it's you know there's a lot of world building the the organization of the coven Mm. is really fun but ultimately it was my way of working through the prejudice that I've experienced um in a way in a way that I enjoyed and 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 weirdly, writing this book was quite cathartic for me in thinking about bigotry. Mm. And, you know, one of the things which I think it's important to talk about, we talk about the treatment of, of trans women. Then there's also the treatment of trans people in general. And there are specificities around that. But sometimes it can feel like a bit like the Northern Ireland conflict was where it's so this rolling thing that we don't really truly ever know what is quite going on. But for people listening who maybe aren't across it, like, where are we at? Why are what's happening right now that is so specifically bad that hasn't been happening before? Because I do feel like when I feel like 10 years ago, I'm slightly making up that time frame, it felt like we were moving in a slightly more positive direction. Mm-hmm. And then for some reason, we're, we're rolling back and, and then people start talking about Brexit, you know? <laughs> but yeah. Well, although I think, I, bizarrely, I think the, those two concepts are actually really linked because mm-hmm. I think, you know, we, we have a very, very right-wing government with a very, very right-wing press. Mm. And so the problem is the press can't really examine the failures of Brexit. You know, the press can't really examine the failures of the government because they put them there. Mm-hmm. You know, the press became a machine for both Brexit and our government. But they have to fill their papers. They have to, I think, confect issues, which mm-hmm. is why which is why we do hear so much about migrants for years and years and years, just headlines in the right-wing press about migrants, about this sort of phantom menace of what would happen if people came wet, whereas actually our the numbers of migrants have remained fairly steady, you know, over the last kind of two decades. And then you would think the same was true of trans women, which is we, we've got a bit of a spicy story here. It seems to be gaining traction. You've got some high profile celebrities or public figures who are willing to engage in this kind of conversation. Let's let's make this our new story. And I think mm-hmm. It was a backlash to those very small gains that we made. And, and when you think about what gains did trans people make? Well, there was the Gender Recognition Act of 2004, which was where after many, many years, we were able to legally change our gender. You know, now you can apply to get a new birth certificate that reflects your real gender. You can get a passport, you know, all those things. So that there were steps forward in 2004 and then I think post-2004, and perhaps more vitally, I think there were cultural steps forward as well, which is 
that trans people weren't willing to live in the shadows anymore. You know, I think mm-hmm. I remember there being trans people in the little town in Yorkshire where I grew up in the 80s. And they were figures of fun. They were figures of ridicule. Mm. They, you know, they were talked about very negatively. And I think trans people post-2004, along with the legal recognition that we got, we were just thinking, could we just live with dignity, please? Yeah. And I think that was what it was about. And with that, you know, the, the innovation of reality TV as well. So trans people were able to put themselves on television in a way that they hadn't. And and I think as well, sort of demanding that we were perceived differently in art as well, that we were no longer just dead sex workers, which mm-hmm. was all serial killers. Those were the two, those mm-hmm. were the two genders up until a few years ago, you know, kind of as a trans person in the media, you were either a, a dead sex worker or you were in fact a Norman Bates kind of Buffalo Bill style serial mm. killer. And then, you know, there was for the first time and, you know, so vital to me, there were role models. You know, I could look to people like Andrea Pejic, Paris Lees, you know, um, Nadia on Big Brother. Um, yeah. You know, then the the awareness, increasing awareness that there were trans men in the world as well, kind of that's mm. something that had been previously un, almost unheard of, even though, you know, there are trans men all through history, kind of. And so I just think, whereas us, as LGBTQ people, we were a little bit ahead of the mainstream, I guess, in that, you know, and I think that's why there were those relatively calm years between like 2010 and 2016 where it did feel like we were making real progress in terms of you know trans people being more readily accepted and understood and so maybe it was inevitable there was going to be a bit of a backlash Mm -hmm. or at least I guess questions around trans people's increased visibility in society because we've always been around it was just that we became more visible and um, and then I think the press just saw an opportunity and just ran with it, you know. And I think, you know, it, it's a real shame because, you know, there are so many conversations we should be having around women. And I, and as I say in the book, you know, this conversation about trans women is just not the conversation that I think we should be having. Mm. And there's also a big dichotomy between press and manufactured arguments that are clickbait and how you live your day-to-day life. And do you find yourself supported by other women in general? Because um, I imagine you do, you know. I, I... Yeah, yeah. I think, I think basically I was raised by a matriarchy. You know, I was, I was raised, God, this sounds awful, I'm sure my dad isn't listening, but, you know, I was largely raised by women, um, a mum mm-hmm. and two grandmas and, and my sister as well. And... You know, the first person I came out to was a woman. Mm-hmm. My therapist was a woman. Um, you know, I then very quickly largely told my female friends, um, my mum, my sister, my grandmas, my stepmom, just surrounded by support. I remember mm. very early on, because for sheer practicality reasons, I had to tell my publisher what was about to happen because, of course, they set their publication schedule like years in advance. And I was like, mm. look, spoilers, but there is going to be quite a significant change. Mm. And I remember having that where I was out for a coffee with, at the time it was hockey books, with my female publicist, my female editor, my female CEO, every, at every stage of my transition, the nurse who looked after me after my surgery. There have been women by my side 
cheering me on in every way. So my lived experience of women and of inclusion and of feminism has been nothing but positive. And this is why it's so important. And I think this is a valuable lesson for everyone, which is the importance of coming offline, Mm -hmm. of going Mm -hmm. and being with real people. Because especially if I spend too much time on Twitter, I start to feel very strange and very paranoid that like the world is against me because of course the algorithm wants you to be anxious, I think, because it Mm. wants you to sort of spend your time kind of affirming your worldview. And, and so, you know, I can start to feel that, you know, there is this kind of like mighty war between trans people and the gender criticals. And then you're like, nope, step outside, go walk the dog, go touch, go touch grass. And, and actually, by and large, people, people are kind. Mm. You know, I think, you know, some people might not get it. <laughs> but I think by and large, even those people tend to be kind. And I, I try to keep that. That's the kind of faith I can vibe with, kind of. Well, it's wonderful to hear because, you know, two two different streams of communication to this podcast, but both... Um equally as valid and you know one is is younger people exploring who they are and I think what's lovely is you feel like you're seeing people who are understanding they don't have to make any radical decisions now and Uh that and it's all fluid and you know like those those are also options as well um but then also parents saying I'm a parent I'm listening to this podcast because I'm a parent of kids who are telling me they're queer and I just don't even know where to begin and you know and and if and if your if your understanding of in this case for example being trans was only purely from picked up off newsstands you would think it was really hostile and it's actually so encouraging to hear that very strong lineage of support yeah and i i think it's it is it is and, and this this is why at the moment i'm putting a lot of kind of trust again in sort of grassroots organizations i i think certainly under the political climate we've got right now, I don't think we can expect any sort of centralised support coming from politicians. Um, I think our best hope is on a local level. And Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, there are groups, there are, even even within schools, you know, now it's been a very long time since I've been to a high school that doesn't have some sort of pride group, Mm -hmm. you know, with a lovely supportive librarian who was kind of, who was making sure that there is a refuge or a safe space for LGBTQ kids. But, you know, through to local organisations, I mean, obviously there are the big groups like Stonewall, Mermaids, but then mm. the, there are usually smaller local ones as well. And I, I think that's, that's where the hope is. And, and again, I, I do think that if there is a crisis, it's within healthcare and that is part of a larger crisis within the NHS. Um, I, I think what I would hope for in the immediate term actually is, is for there to be better intervention for young trans people and non-binary people on like a local level, sort mm. of like support groups, you know, um, because because actually the old model wasn't working. And I think that's something we can all agree on, the old centralised place where every trans kid in the country had to schlep down to this one place in London was mm. crazy. So um, so that's what I think we need now. We We just need better better provision because i think there is there is something of a there is definitely a crunch when it comes to healthcare interventions for trans people and that that isn't just trans youth that's for however old you are you know the waiting lists are still obscene i think 
when I was referred in 2015, mm-hmm. I think my wait was nine months. Whereas now I would be expected to wait nearly three years to even be seen by a specialist. And obviously that that's, that's not good enough. It's such a time sensitive thing as well. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I, I mean, you know, I know, you know, anybody listening to this will know at the moment, even just getting an appointment with your GP is, is nigh on impossible. So I appreciate this is, you know, a, a much bigger crisis within the NHS and within government. But um, I think certainly right now, I think it's less about, less about changing hearts and minds, actually, and more about, you know, what can, what practically can we do to help trans people? Mm. And I think the first, let's call it step one, would be reducing those wait lists. Uh, hi, end of part one. Part two's on the feed. Go get it. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Powered by Spirit Studios.